Our final scripture passage for the night may seem a little strange to you. It's not really a typical Christmas Eve sermon passage. It's not really a typical passage for the rest of the year either. It'll be especially strange if you haven't been with us at all during Advent this year because we've spent these four weeks making our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians, coming tonight to its fifth chapter, using it as a reminder that we're waiting, that we're waiting for a Messiah not to be born, but to return. We're waiting for what Scripture calls the day of the Lord, when Jesus comes back and makes all things right again, when God restores all things and gives us new and whole and everlasting life. And this is a letter that has helped us think about what it means to wait well. To not just wait around, but to wait toward that day when Jesus returns. But this chapter isn't just the next in the series we've been doing. It was chosen for tonight for a reason. There are a lot of connections between Jesus' first and second comings between the story we just heard of Jesus' birth and the story you are about to hear of Jesus' return. So listen for the themes that connect these stories and do whatever you need to do to listen well to words from the book we love. She's ready. (laughs) We don't need to write to you about timing and dates, brothers and sisters. You know very well that the day of the Lord is going to come like a thief in the night. When they're saying, there is peace and security. At that time, sudden destruction will attack them. Like labor pains start with a pregnant woman and they definitely won't escape. But you aren't in darkness, brothers and sisters. So the day won't catch you by surprise like a thief. All of you are children of light and children of the day. We don't belong to night or darkness. So then, let's not sleep like the others, but let's stay awake and stay sober. People who sleep, sleep at night, and people who get drunk, get drunk at night. Since we belong to the day, let's stay sober, wearing faithfulness and love as a breastplate and the hope of salvation as a helmet. God didn't intend for us to suffer his wrath, but rather to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus died for us so that whether we are asleep or awake, we will live together with him. So, Continue encouraging each other and building each other up, just like you are doing already. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Jesus' first coming tells us quite a bit about his second coming. And there are three things about it that Paul alludes to in this passage in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 11. That that coming is unexpected, jarring, and inevitable. Unexpected, jarring, and inevitable. It's unexpected. Paul says it will come like a thief in the night. Thieves come when you aren't expecting them. That's sort of the whole point of the thing. If you knew a thief was coming, you'd probably lock your doors, 
hire a guard, call the police, turn on a light, do something to keep them from coming in and taking all of your things. Their whole enterprise requires surprise. Jesus' birth was a surprise. It was generally missed by most everyone on earth. There was no room for Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem because no one had any idea what to do with this strange couple and the child conceived out of wedlock. They had no idea this was special. The only people to celebrate his birth were a few shepherds in the fields, and that's only because angels came and told them. We like to make a big deal out of this story, but it was a non-event at the time. Jesus snuck right into our world almost completely unnoticed. Jesus' return will also be like a thief in the night. It will be unexpected. It will be a surprise. But this time it will not go unnoticed. Because Jesus' coming won't just be unexpected. It will also be jarring. Paul says people will be muttering, there's peace and security. And right then, sudden destruction will attack. Part of what Paul's trying to communicate is the unexpected nature of Jesus' return. People will assume everything's fine, all is right and good and peaceful and comfortable, and then he will break into the world, bringing heaven with him and remaking all of reality as we know it. Paul's probably also taking a shot across the bow of the Roman Empire. The empire in that day was in the middle of their historic Pax Romana, the Roman peace, and Rome loved to brag about the peace and security they offered to their citizens, a period of peace that was unprecedented in the world's history, except that what was ignored was that peace came at the cost of incredible violence and bloodshed and oppression for others outside the inner circle. Paul is saying that this delusion of imperial security and safety is not, in fact, peace at all and will soon be ripped apart and shown for what it is. I think there's even another sense, though, in which Paul means this. Jesus himself said he didn't come to bring peace, but a sword. A sword not for destruction and conquering, but to divide And whenever there is legitimate encounter with Jesus, there are only ever two reactions, worship or violence. When people truly encounter Christ, they either bow down and worship him, recognizing him as Lord of all, or they reject him and begin to fight back. This is all of what happens through the entire Gospels. And we see it here even in the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph receive this strange thing God is doing and they wonder about it. The shepherds come to investigate what the angels have told them, and when they find Jesus, they praise God and worship. Even the wise men who come later come from far away bearing gifts to bow down at Jesus' feet. But then there's Herod. Herod, who upon hearing that Jesus has been born, tries to find out where and when so that he can kill him. And when the wise men sneak out of town to protect Jesus, King Herod orders every child two years old and younger in Bethlehem slaughtered with the hopes of wiping out this new king. There's something jarring about Jesus coming. And it will be jarring when he returns too. Reality 
as we know it, will be ripped apart when Jesus is revealed. Heaven itself will be unveiled, and those who are in Christ will be gathered to him, while others will be pushed away. The peace and security we thought we had will be torn away and revealed for what they really are. But it won't just be unexpected and jarring. It is also inevitable. Like a pregnant woman going into labor, perhaps the most fitting metaphor for tonight. Without modern medicine, ultrasounds, C-sections, inductions, due dates, birth in the ancient world was unexpected. No one knew the day their child would be born. And as Mary and Joseph stayed on in Bethlehem, they could not have known when or even if the child would come while they were still there. But while they didn't know when he would be born, they surely knew this child would be. That peace was inevitable. It was going to happen one way or another, one day or another. The baby would come. It was just a matter of when the pains of labor would strike, her water would break, the contractions begin. And the longer you wait, the more inevitable it becomes, and the more the suspense grows. The daughter of a couple in our church who is now pregnant and due any day, and we've been saying that for two weeks, so really any day, But the suspense just grows and grows every day we wait. Jesus' return will be like a woman going into labor. It is going to happen. We may not know when, but we know that it will. And as time goes on, things get more and more suspenseful. Christ's coming is inevitable. He's coming, and every day we're getting closer It will be jarring. The world's peace and security will be ripped apart and real truth revealed. It will also be unexpected, like a thief in the dead of night breaking in. Unexpected, jarring, and inevitable. But don't fear. Don't fear, don't worry, because, Paul says, you aren't in darkness, brothers and sisters, so the day won't catch you by surprise like a thief. All of you are children of light and children of the day. It won't be a surprise for us because we are already in the light. The world around us may be blanketed still in darkness, but we, we belong to the light. Cue Pat Benatar. Have you ever had jet lag? Long flight across time zones where for a day or two your body clock is just completely off. It's 3 a.m. and you're wide awake. The rest of the world is asleep in darkness and your body clock says you need to be ready to go now. As Christians, as those who belong to the light, it's as though we have spiritual jet lag. Though the world is still in darkness, we are wide awake to the dawn that is coming. It won't surprise us because we are already awake. Because we've seen the dawning light on this first Christmas. And our task now is to stay awake and to watch for the sunrise. A few years ago, Sam and I went on a vacation to Acadia National Park, and one morning took the drive up Cadillac Mountain in order to watch the sunrise from the highest point on the Atlantic seaboard, to be some of the first people in the United States to see the sunrise that day. And as we stood on the top of that mountain with the other brave souls who were up at an ungodly hour, together we greeted the sun. As Christians, we are those who are awake in the darkness, waiting for the sun to rise, waiting for the light to return. 
And we know to wait for the light because we've seen it once before. Because we were awakened to it on this night so long ago. It was the light of that little baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. Of the God who took on flesh and was born of a virgin. Of our Savior who came and died to set us free from sin and darkness. Who was raised from the dead, ascended to heaven, and has promised one day to return to make all things well. What you're seeing tonight is a preview of the dawn of God's salvation. Of the light of God which has come and will come again But when the light returns, it will not be to a stable in Bethlehem. It will not be largely unnoticed by the world. When the light returns, it will come as a blaze of glory, as the climax of history. It will transform all of creation. It will bring heaven and earth together and remake us and all the cosmos. When the light comes again, we will have no more need for the sun, the moon, or the stars. For Christ will be our light, and we will dwell with him forever. So as we wait for that day... Let's stay awake. Let's watch for the dawn. Let us live in the light. Let's stop messing around in the darkness and step out of its crooked ways to live instead in the light of God's kingdom. Let us put on the breastplate of faithfulness and love, the helmet of the hope of salvation. That is the armor of God that enables us to endure anything that comes Let's announce the coming of the light to the world. Let's join the angels in singing. Let's shine this light into darkness. And let's do all of this that we might stay awake for the dawn. That we might be ready when Christ returns. Tonight's just the prelude. As those who have now been shaken awake in the middle of night, don't just roll over and go back to sleep. Don't walk out these doors and go right back to who you've always been and what you've always done. Stay awake now. Tonight you have been given a glimpse of the dawning light. So let's rejoice in that gift that we've been given. And let's rejoice that the greater gift is still to come when Christ comes again. When Christ gathers us to himself. When Christ makes all things well. Rejoice, rejoice. Emmanuel has come to you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.